Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 29th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Hey, uh, precisely? I would say precisely, because right about... Now is when I probably was starting to drive into work. So I'd say precisely 22 years ago today was my first day at the Times. Wow. Yeah. And that started it all, buddy. Wow. 22 years ago, man. I, when you think about it like that, it's like, man, it, somebody was born the day I went to school. They've already been able to drink for a whole year in the state. Oh. <laughs> um. But uh, it was a good day. It was a good day that uh, I started the Times because, uh, you know, got my feet wet. and uh, You stepped in that same puddle I did? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and only uh, how many short, five short years later you showed up? Uh, how, how long, when did you start? Uh, I started the Times in 2000. So five years, yeah, because I started in 95. Yep. yep. So five years later you showed up. Then, like, uh, three years after that, we actually met <laughs> at a home game, and then next thing you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, happy anniversary to me, buddy. Wow, 22 years ago. What, had color been invented then? Uh, well, not in the movies, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I tell you, it, it's, uh, it's been a long, weird road. <laughs> You could have actually been a blacksmith back then. <laughs> I think I'm drinking some hard root beer while I'm doing the show here. <laughs> I've been exploring my alcoholic side lately. Yeah, I noticed that. Yes, I'm a little worried about that. Yeah. Or maybe I'm a little happy about that. I, I'll yeah. let you know at some point. But Next, I'm on some hash brownies, I think. <laughs> I really want to try hash brownies and then play poker and see what that's like. Oh, boy. Uh, not at our game. <laughs> um, so anyway, I... I I just wanted to say that uh, today we're we're babysitting the grandkids, uh, and uh, because they're all off school, and my grandson's birthday is January first, and he says, "You know what I want for my birthday party this year?" I said, "What?" He said, "I want to have a poker party." Oh wow! Yeah, I said, "Are you serious?" He said, "Just poker, only poker. I want everyone to come, and I want us to all show up and play poker." I was like. All right, buddy. You got what you know. So we'll see if that actually happens. Because yeah, that's a hard he sell wants it. Yeah. yeah, doesn't mean he's going to get it. But uh, <laughs> if he does, I will report back. Every time he comes over, we play heads up, uh, hold him, and uh, I never let him win because um, <laughs> you can't do that. Yet. You got to let him earn it. But uh, he he loves it, and he's all fancy with it now. He's got these cool ways to throw the chips in the middle, and he shovels and deals for himself. So I will update his progress as the show moves on. <laughs> 
<laughs> he may be covering his results in the World Series someday. Who knows? <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> Can't wait. And maybe someday he'll meet Molly Bloom. Oh, yeah. Well, he's going to win enough money to play in her game, so. <laughs> Did you see that stupid so, movie? Good. Did you see it? Yes, I watched it last night. You went like, you so. Uh, the question I have real quick is: Did you did you see it for the show or for your lame ass Academy Awards thing? No, because it, it's not going to get nominated. Oh, okay, no okay. So you so, saw it for the show and I did. Yeah, I was well. I, obviously, I wanted to see it. I thought it was going to be decent. Um, although it's tough this time of year to not go see movies that I think are going to be best picture nominees because that's my big quest every year, and I've yeah. succeeded the last four or five years now of seeing all the best picture movies before the Academy Awards. So. To, to spend two hours and 14 bucks uh, to see a movie that I don't think is going to make the cut is tough to do. Yeah. But I got to do it with this one, and I have to I got to go see Star Wars sometimes. So no spoilers on that, but <laughs> Hansel will die at this one, too. Uh, here's a hint. They used the Force, <laughs> they used the force. <laughs> in this episode, so good luck with that. Yeah, so I'll try to do Star Wars probably uh, tomorrow or the next day. But, <clears throat> but yeah, so anyhow, so I was putting together the show notes, and obviously Molly's game which is the movie about uh, Molly Bloom and her high-stakes games with celebrities. Uh, it came out on Christmas Day, so everybody's kind of talking about it in the poker world. And, and we had nothing else to talk about in the show, so I'm like, all right, uh, we can't really talk about this movie if at least one of us haven't seen it. So <clears throat> right. I made the sacrifice last night, used my two free movie tickets for Donating Bug, and, and took the wife and, uh, and enjoyed it. It was a good movie. Um, I did not love it, though. So um, you have you you have not seen it yet, right? I have not seen it. I thought about uh, using my hacked uh, Fire Stick to download a crappy version of it and watch it, but I was like, you know what? If I'm going to go to jail, it's not going to be for Molly's game. So <laughs> I will. That would uh, be awesome to get get arrested for watching a movie about an illegal operation. <laughs> exactly. Nice, but uh, nice. I figured I'd let you fall on that grenade for both of us uh, because I fell on uh, lucky me for both of us. Yes, so. uh, lucky you. Right? Yeah, whatever it was. So it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't lucky. It was lucky you. That's right. So, uh, all right. So, first of all, there's no spoilers here because obviously this is a book and everything's been out and it's based on the true story. So, if you don't know the story, then I'm not ruining anything for you, anyhow. Um, but there, I, I really don't have any uh, spoilers, anyhow. But um, uh, my Facebook post last night was I really didn't think uh, that a poker movie written by Aaron Sorkin and starring Jessica Chastain would be meh, but it was eh, meh. <laughs> uh, big fan of Aaron Sorkin love the West Wing and all the other stuff he's written uh, love Jessica, Jessica Chastain everything she's been in she's just like owned um, and of course I love poker so you know I thought this was a slam dunk and um, so we walk out as we always do um, when I go to movies with her she's like what do you think and I'm like eh and she's like really and I'm like yeah I mean it was good I'm glad we came but it, it wasn't great and she's like, huh, I'm a little surprised by that. And I'm like, did you like it? She's like, yeah, I liked it. And I'm like, all right, well, I liked it. I just didn't love it. And that's the different levels, right? Yeah. I mean, I like you, but I love my wife. So. Right. Um, but uh, so a couple things I'll say. One, it was too long, two hours and 20 minutes. And I don't mind long movies if they need to be long, but there were parts where I'm like, all right, let's move it along here, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> Got a lot of uh, dialogue here. You don't need all that, so trim back. So uh, I think that was part of the uh, part of the issue for me. Uh, but again, it was a good movie. It's a good movie. It's worth seeing. So I'm not trying to discourage any of our listeners from not seeing it. Um, I would just would say temper your expectations on it being walking out 
going, oh my gosh, I, I got I to gotta go buy another ticket and go back in and see the 8 o'clock showing. It's so amazing. That I don't think is going to happen for anyone. So. Okay. Um, and then the other thing, uh, before we get into some of the, uh, some of the stuff in it, because uh, I know everybody's tr- uh, interested in um, the poker accuracy in the movie, so I got some notes about that. But um, a couple of weeks ago, I think one of our uh, fans uh, tagged this in a tweet asking whether uh, we thought Molly's game was going to be the next rounders. Mm. And uh, my comment at the time was, well, it's hard to bet against Aaron Sorkin and Jessica Chastain, so maybe. Um, though, realistically, at the time, I, you know, obviously I read about what, what the movie was going to be, and I knew that Aaron Sorkin didn't want this to be a poker movie. He wanted to be a movie about Molly's story, uh, which is far more interesting, I think, anyhow. And that's exactly what it was. So I don't think it was ever going to be a Rounders-type movie, right? Right. Um and uh, there was very little poker in it, by the way, too. I think. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people playing poker, but there weren't. Uh, there were no hands that I remember that you that they went all the way through the flop turn and river. Um, uh, there was no uh, five of a kind with a joker beating a royal flush kind of big <laughs> pivotal hand, right? Right. Uh, so if you're going there, to, hopefully to see interesting poker, you're going to be really disappointed because there was none of that in there. Um, they did, uh, there were a couple, you know, flops and they showed, you know, a big bluff here, there, and they did some, uh, what I think for movie, a good explanation of full houses and stuff. It wasn't the lame WPT stuff, you know, where they, what beat what, what beat what, um, but, uh, but there's not a lot of poker in it. So, you know, if you're going into it thinking that you're going to see a poker movie, eh, don't go, <laughs> might be a, not going to be that. I, I um, think it was pretty obvious too that it was going to, it wasn't going to be a poker movie. It was going to be about her just by the trailer. You know, the name of it makes you think, Hey, it's going to be a poker movie. You, you, this, by that, when you look at the trailer, you're just like, yeah. And it's funny you said that too, because, um, I when when one of our, our our actually our mid-Atlantic ambassador Michael Young on the Annie Up fans uh, page on Facebook, he said Molly's game is coming out looking for what you guys think it's going to be like. Anybody uh, have any ideas? And uh, I said I'll take a stab at it. You know, I said like Runner Runner Molly's game makes you think the movie is about poker, but they merely only use poker as a vehicle to tell a mediocre story. At the end. That's pretty much what I wrote, and I hadn't even seen the movie, obviously. And I would agree with that, with the exception of the mediocre story. It actually is a really fascinating story. um, Obviously, it's Hollywood, so they took some liberties with it. And a lot of it's based on her own memoir, too, so you never know what's made up as well, too. But um, it really is a fascinating story that this woman who was, you know, one bad skate away from making the Olympics as a mogul skier... And then just walked into a job in L.A. and at age 26 was now <laughs> running one of the biggest exclusive poker games in the world. That That's a fascinating story. And then yeah. how it all um, crumbled down as well, too, was, it was equally as fascinating. In fact, actually, my wife's favorite part was all the, the legal stuff in there. She really liked the lawyer and the back and forth with uh, with him and Molly in the movie. So it is an interesting story. Um, it's, it's definitely, if you want to bring the wife or husband who doesn't play, and thinks, oh, no, I want to go see a poker movie. You can let them know that Scott said it's not a poker movie. <laughs> it's really not a poker movie. Right. Um, and, but it's it's an interesting it's an interesting movie. It would be better at two hours than two hours and 20 minutes. But, that, and that's what I was going to say to you before the show, is I think that we need to just stop looking at these movies and wondering if they're, you know, hoping or, or expecting them to be about poker and just realize that it's a vehicle that just tells helps tell a story or is a plot 
you know point or something but really i mean i think i i'm totally over it now i, I never think of a poker movie as going to be a poker movie ever again it's just going to be something in there that they're never going to get right and it's not about that. I'm just going for the movie from now on. And then if it's if it's way better than that and it's poker, then I'll be pleasantly surprised. But now I'm just going to learn to tame my expectations. Because I just don't think they're ever going to make a poker movie again. And, 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 and rightfully so. I mean, you know, it's very it's, it's fun to play. It's exciting to actually do it. But to watch people do it, it's like watching paint dry. And to do it on a big screen when I'm paying to do it, paying to see it, I'm going to want to entertain by other things. So I've just I've tempered my expectations of these movies. Now, I will say, because obviously one of the things we mention always is when there's a movie about poker that comes out, is this going to you know encourage more people to play? I don't think there's ever going to be that, that boom again based off a movie, right? Right. But I, I would imagine there will be an uptick in home games and some interest in poker after watching this, because it is an accessible movie to non-poker people. Um, and like I said, they do explain a couple concepts in there. They do it kind of clunkily, I think, but they do explain some... There, there's a whole scene where she's like... Um, Googling every term that she hears people mention at the poker table so she can learn, which is actually kind of interesting, but it's a good way of getting those terms out and then explaining them yeah. to novices. So it does help in that that regard. So I would imagine there's going to be a few more friendly home games started up um, that will eventually peter out in a couple months when people get bored <laughs> of it again. But, but for right now, it'll be, it'll be a little tiny bump, a little tiny bump. Uh, for it. But uh, this is not going to get... The, the World Series poker is not going to have record numbers this year because of all this game. <laughs> but we're going to get more listeners because... Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's right. Yeah, we probably will. Um, so, uh, all right, so I know what, what everybody's probably interested in is the how accurate it was in terms of the poker stuff. Obviously, I don't know the whole story and whether, you know, what, what liberties they took with that. But um, but it was interesting. So I walk out of the, you know, uh, the movie with the wife and she asked me how it was. I'm like, eh, you know. And then... Uh, and then I'm like, uh, I think there were, there were like two two poker things that I that, that were wrong, and she's like, oh good, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I there was one that I thought, and uh, so I was just curious what you thought about it, and I'm like, and I told her the two, which I'll talk about here in a minute, and she's like, oh that's those weren't either one of them. <laughs> She's like, I thought it was really funny at the end that they just in the middle of a hand uh, just started raking the pot, and I'm like. Yes. Uh, she's like, I, I would think those players would notice that and would go ballistic. And I'm like, yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly because of the way they, they illustrated it, there's no chips in the well. And all of a sudden, uh, she gives the nod to her co-host to start raking the game, and she just starts putting chips in the well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was very – that was terrible. But as I explained to her, and I explained this to people a lot, especially people that, that follow me on my personal Facebook page because they know – I'm really big on historical movies being as true to the true story as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also allow the fact that, you know, when you're telling a life story of a human being that's done amazing things, that uh, it's hard to tell the whole life in two hours, right? So you got to you gotta do some tricks and some, some things to make that work, right? And so what I told the wife was when that, that scene was, was necessary Hollywood storytelling, because um, they kind of mentioned, hey, maybe you need to rake the game at some point. And if people don't know the story, I mean, Molly uh, made all of her money off this game up into the last two months uh, based on tips. She just got tips from people. Um, so she had like it was a company called Molly Boom, Boom Incorporated, and it was a poker party company. And so she got her way to go to play poker, and people just tipped her, and that's how she made money. Right. Uh, of course, when people are buying it for $250,000, tips are pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so it wasn't until the end that she actually started raking, and that's where she got all the, all the trouble. But, um, but you know, 
for Hollywood, you need to do it that way. You need to you need to make it look dramatic on the screen, even though obviously that wasn't how it happened. I mean, I'm sure in real life there was a discussion. Hey, you guys are playing really big now. I need to take a piece of it, and it happened. Boring. It was very boring, probably. So they made it more exciting in the movie. So I, I give them a pass on that because I think that's that's storytelling. Yeah, and they always do the foreshadowing, obviously, so that people don't miss the reason why this lady's getting busted or the reason why this happened. Because they, if you blink for a second or you don't understand the subtleties of the movie and you miss it then you're gonna be like why why is she being arrested or why is this going down or or whatever so they always do that too they always make sure to pan the camera to the area that's hey this is going to be important in a little while idiot watch this carefully right right and again if you're not a poker player you probably had no idea what she's talking about about raking the pot um and i don't think they really did a good job even explaining that in that um, I think eventually they got around to the fact that she took a piece of the game, but I don't think ran, random people could probably understand the difference between what she did before raking and after raking. Yeah, but, yeah. but anyway, so I mean that that was a necessary Hollywood storytelling, and the wife was interested to hear me say that. So, um, but um, and I know some of the discussion beforehand, at least on our fans page, because our, our good friend Vic G, he's a big chip collector, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it was him. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was him that. Uh, uh, kind of lost his mind over the fact that in the trailer the chips look really cheap, right? Yeah. Because he's like, you know how you're playing a $10,000 buy-in cash game with all these celebrities and the movie can't even make the chips look good, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it was even you that got in there like, come on, relax, right? Was it you or something? No, else? I didn't say that. I didn't okay, say somebody that. else got in there and like, come on. You yeah. know, you're not going to see a movie because the chips aren't good. And his point was, well, you know, you're trying to make it realistic and there's no reason not to make it realistic. So here's what I, I can happily report, I think, after this. And I, I'm sure Vic G might disagree with me if he's seen the movie. But I think uh, that was part of the storytelling because the chips got better in quality as the game got better in quality. Okay. So the chips that you see in the trailer were from when she first got involved with this at the Viper Room, which they called the Cobra Lounge in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it's you know it's a, it's a very fancy um, Hollywood nightclub, but uh, the scene there is very backroom pokerish. So I think it was probably accurate. But um, and then she moved the game to these really fancy hotels, you know, the Four Seasons and the Plaza. And really nice tables and, you know, top shelf liquor and all that, right? So um, I think, I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but I would imagine it probably was deliberate that they started out with really cheap looking chips as just kind of like this visual thing because the chips kept getting better and better as the game got bigger and bigger. Yeah, that makes sense. Could be wrong, but I don't know. But uh, but maybe Vic doesn't like the chips at the end that were really nice with their little <laughs> logo. So, but but I, I really I thought that was I, I noticed that because I was looking for that and I'm like, hey, that's that's a pretty good movie making trick there. I think uh, as far as the story involved. So, um, but in terms of the actual poker, there are only two things that I really that caught my eye in it. And again, there wasn't a lot of poker in it, so it's hard to it's hard to mess up a lot when you don't show a lot, right? Right. Uh, one was they uh, they had a couple scenes at the Commerce Casino where where she went to you know try to reel in some fish for the game, and uh, one of the fish that she reeled in was smoking at the table. Oh, and uh, you know if this was 1960, a movie about 1960. All right, I'll give that to you, but this all happened in the last ten years. <laughs> yeah, uh, smoking is not being allowed in Commerce uh, in the last ten years or so. Uh, so I again, but I think that's a Hollywood thing. I think they, they were trying to 
make this particular play. This player didn't belong in the game. Um, you know, everybody else was these big, uh, high uh, celebrities or being very rich Wall Street people, and this was just a, a, a grinder player that had that was a good player. So, I'm going to guess that was some kind of again some more Hollywooding. Uh, let's make him look not as glamorous as the other people, right? Right. So again, I could probably uh, that's a small thing that people probably don't notice either, but I noticed it, um, and I don't think it's a big deal. But the one that did get me, uh, I sat there and shook my head. There was a, a real pivotal scene where um, the main guy in the game, who is supposed to be Toby Maguire, but they um, didn't use his name, and you could tell that she. I don't know how much she evolved Molly was in the movie. But if she had anything to say about casting, she really got her revenge on Toby <laughs> by making sure that Michael Sarah played him in the movie. <laughs> Not going to be confused for Toby McGuire anywhere else, I think. Uh, but there was a scene there where, um, you know, uh, they're, they're talking about how he was the driver of the game and blah, blah, blah. And he made this big bluff on a weaker player and got, got that player to fold the nuts. <laughs> the nuts? And so, so you know, it was in the middle of this, like, where she was barking out terms that she was learning, right? And then she explained the nuts, but explained it completely wrong. Oh, Saying, no. and Mathematically, you have the best hand, but you're never sure where the nuts is you have the best hand. You may not, it may not be the exclusive best hand. You could be splitting the pot, but when you have the nuts, you have the best hand, and you're not folding the nuts ever. Um, so they really biffed on that one, and then uh, then the guy ended up folding. Apparently, the nuts they never showed his cards, but apparently folded nuts, and then the the player X uh, showed the bluff, and everybody's like, "Woo!" Uh, which would have been a fine scene if they didn't mess up the word nuts. There. Oh man! So that was the big the big miss that I that I took away from the movie in terms of poker terminology and, and poker. How does that get by, though? I mean, it's like they've had to have consulted somebody. Even if Molly's there, Molly knows. You know I mean, how did that? How did that get by? That's sad. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's it's not like a throwaway line like it would be somewhere else. I mean, um, and, and to give them credit, there wasn't any of the uh, splashing the pot in this movie. There wasn't any of the uh, "I call you and raise you four yeah. million. Yeah. None of that stupid stuff. But I'm sure they were trying to. It, it, again, it was a pivotal moment in the movie in terms of how like, these poker games operate, and they wanted the drama, and they got the drama, but they didn't need to do it by mixing up the word nuts. Uh, and But they had the guy bluff him off the hand, he couldn't have the nuts, right? It's never going to happen, unless you can't read the board, so... Um, so that was just a bad. Uh, they could have just avoided the whole nuts thing, and I and I think it would have been. You still had the same drama, but uh, poker people are going to be really laughing at that part. I think. Okay, so two questions. One, uh, did they have a lot of poker in the movie though, or was it really just sort of this twenty-minute period yeah. in the movie where no, they had no, some poker? Of, yeah, there was a lot of. Uh, probably half the movie was in one of her games, and there was poker being played, but there just wasn't. Wasn't anything of substance. It wasn't okay. you, know, you weren't watching people. You, you show they showed people betting or they showed you know flops, um, but but there wasn't any like there, there's no Teddy KGB eating Oreos, right? Or, or Mike McDermott you know seeing through cards at the judges game. None of that stuff, right? Uh, okay. But but I mean obviously a lot of the movie there were chips and cards and people playing and uh, you know but uh, but just not enough for them to mess up the game with the exception of the nuts okay. <laughs> and, and the smoking. 
<laughs> and the other question I have is, were there any celebrity cameos or the actual celebrity played themselves in the movie? No, actually, I think they, they were very clear that they, they didn't use any of the real names. Okay. Um, and therefore, none of the celebrities actually played themselves, which I thought would have been uh, funny um, or interesting. Um, now, I, I can't say that there wasn't a cameo that I missed. You know, sometimes there, there's somebody in there. Like, like any time the movie's about a real-life person, they put that person as a cameo somewhere. Yeah. Like, well, like in Apollo 13, Tom Hanks' character is actually the admiral that greets him when he gets off the, the helicopter if they rescue him. And you're like, oh, it's cool. <laughs> but you never knows him because he's like 40 years older now, right? Yeah, but, right. Um, so there, there might have been, a, been some um, uh, cameos that I just didn't pick up on. But uh, but they, they were not deliberate. They, they never mentioned any names. Um, they, they mentioned, you know, when they introduced the Michael Sarah character, which is supposed to be Tobey Maguire, they did like this quick montage of light bulbs going off in the red carpet, but you can never see the face. Right. Right. And then, oh, the other person's a big Hollywood director and they showed a bunch of, you know, clips of movies real quick and you couldn't really tell. So they, it was nice storytelling in that sense, but, uh, but they certainly didn't get into, and then they talked about when she moved again to New York, um, how she got the game going in New York was she got A-Rod to come. Um, but he wasn't in the movie, but they did mention that, uh, yeah, I need a hook here. I'm in New York, and what's a better hook than the New York Yankees? So they mentioned it without actually mentioning his name. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for falling on that grenade for us. <laughs> we really appreciate it. I'm sure you'll watch it at some point. Yeah, when it comes out on like, FXX, I'll watch it in two years. Forty other things to tell me. You're like, oh, I can't believe you didn't mention this. But, <laughs> but I'm interested in what other people say. So go to our Annie Up fans page on Facebook, and uh, I'm sure there's going to be a discussion there shortly if there's not already. Absolutely. Anti updates. Restock the shelves. Annie Up's food bank initiative, in partnership with Blue Sh- uh, Shark Optics, returns in January. Daytona Beach, Ra- uh, Beach Racing and Poker and Miami Poker Society are the latest poker venues to join us. For more details on all of the events and how you can encourage the manager of your favorite poker venue to participate, please visit com slash restock. And again, it runs all month. So just a couple of days, right. two days away. Yep. Uh, also, join the Annie Up Fans group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call the floor questions, or just discuss anything poker like Molly's game. Uh, go to Facebook and search for Anti Up Fans. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. It comes from Andy Castro. He says, I've been hosting a home game for several years that started with close friends and is now attended by friends and friends of friends. We usually play two to three times a month. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> he says, we play Hold'em with 25-cent, 50-cent blinds uh, with an average buy-in of 60 bucks. We all take the game very seriously. My issue is that sometimes when involved in large pots and I have the nuts or close to it uh, and have to put in a big bet on the end, on the turn of the river, I tend to let the players off the hook by letting them know I have them beat before they call. These are players that are friends and I have uh, known for many years, so I kind of feel bad by taking a lot of their money. Some of them I even know are playing a little bit above their means. What bothers me most is that I have noticed that the same courtesy is not given to me when I have a tough call to make on most on on a large bet. Please tell me how uh, how huge of a leak this is in my game. I tend to be a winning player in this game, but I could definitely win more if I stopped doing this. Just torn between uh, taking my friend's money versus winning more. Suggestions on how to move forward. First one, go see Molly's game. <laughs> 
because player X slash Tobey Maguire makes a big deal about saying I enjoy destroying people's lives. <laughs> <laughs> if you have that mentality, then you're done. You, you don't have to worry about it. Now, of course, you'd be destroying your friends' lives, and that's your problem. But no, anyhow, um, um, actually, I'm curious what you had to say first on this. I, I got com- comments, but I know uh, I, I'm sure you've got something to say about. It. Well, I do. I uh, a couple of things. The first thing is that I tend to do this too sometimes um and i think sometimes i have ulterior motives um a lot of the time it's because i'm afraid that i don't have the nuts and i'm trying to talk them out of raising me so i'm like you know hey uh you don't want to call here hey you know you want to let the hand go or whatever and then whatever and then ultimately they do call and i do have the better hand but i'm so sometimes i'm so afraid i don't have the best hand that i'm trying to you know talk them out of calling um but a lot of times when I do this, and I do what Andy does sometimes, uh, it's because I do it on the ship, and I have players in the game that are my customers, and I don't want them to lose so much, and I certainly don't want them to lose to me so much, because that sometimes gets back to us and says, hey, you know, I don't want the owners or the dealers playing in our game, so that's something. So I don't want them to regret playing against me and losing a big pot so sometimes i'll be like hey you don't want any part of this and i get them out of it and and whatever but it it, it in, in the home game i i do want to take all your money but sometimes i'm just kind of like you know in this hand i i don't want to see a river card you know or something so i'm like you know what dude i've got you just just fold and i'll show you you know and then i fold they fold and i do show and they know i do have them but I'm afraid that on the river I'm going to get sucked out on or something. So it's it's a weakness in my game too. It's it's twofold though. It's one I don't want to lose the hand, uh, and two even though I have the hand I don't want that player to suffer so much that they don't come back to the game or they don't come back to one of our cruises or something like that. So uh, sometimes it's the right thing to do for me, and sometimes it's definitely the wrong thing to do. So I, to, to to say if it's a huge leak in your game, yeah, I think it is. If you think these guys are going to come back. And gonna keep playing because I know he mentions in there somewhere that they're playing above their means, so that might make him feel bad. Um, but if you think they're gonna come back, then by all means get as much out of them as you can because they're obviously not giving you that same courtesy. And why should they? If you want to be the sucker and give him give them all their money for free, then or let them save their money, then that's on you, not on them. And they're playing with the right attitude. Um, but if they're not gonna come back. And you let them win every once in a while because it ensures they will come back. Then that's the right thing to do. You, you always hear that, especially when you're first learning poker and you start reading books and stuff. They always say, you know, you can shear a sheep uh, as much as you want, but you can only skin them once, that kind of thing. So um, if that's your motive is to get them to keep playing because you don't want to lose them in the game, then I would find I'm fine saving them money or even letting them win once in a while. But if it's because you're just soft-hearted, then you got to cure that. Yeah, let, let, let's be clear about what we're talking about here. We are talking about soft play here a little bit, I yeah. think, which is is unethical. Um, I I think he's doing it for the right reasons here, and I would argue that you and I do it to some degree on the cruise ship as well, as you mentioned, because you know we're you know we're not playing to win; we're playing to keep the games going. So you know I don't play as aggressively in those games as I would normally do, but I play the same level of aggression to all my cruise passengers. I don't, you know, pick one out that I want to be nicer to than the other. So I think that's important. So I'm wondering if he's doing that with the folks that he thinks that are playing above their means. If he's consistently being soft for the entire table, that's 
less of a problem, I think, to me. Um, but he's also kind of insinuating that everybody else should give him the same courtesy. And that gets into a really, really bad spot for me, I think. So, um, And there is no uh, requirement for those people to, to do the same thing. They may not even know that you're being nice to them. They may, right. you know. Right. And they're like, hey, if he wants to be nice to me and let me off a hand, that's great. But uh, I didn't agree to that the other way around. So, you know, I mean, Andy's got to play his game. He can't play other people's games for them. So, um, and I guess the other thing, a couple of things I would say, one, we're all adults, right? We all know what we're getting ourselves into. I mean, if you are actively going out and bringing your friends in and goading them into playing, if they say, Oh, I can't afford it tonight. Oh, sure you can. Or, Oh, I got to go to a movie. No, you got to play poker instead. I would feel a little bit worse about that. But if these people are just showing up because they want to play, um, they're adults, and that's we're playing a game where you win and lose money, and so that's what it needs to be. So you don't need to be uh, hardcore aggressive with them um, and pull every trick you have in your hat out to win money. But uh, I, there's no shame in winning at the poker table. I think. No, I I agree. And he says, "What are suggestions moving forward?" I would say, every single move you make, you need to say to yourself, "What is the right move here?" as a poker player in a poker game in this situation and just make the move and just disregard your feelings toward, hey, I feel bad that my friend is losing or, or whatever, because you're not there to be a charity. You're there to win money and play poker and get better at the game. You said they take it seriously. If you're taking it seriously, you're not exactly. soft playing them. So yeah, absolutely. Just get past that. And, and the last thing I'll say is they, I know they're playing a little bit above their means. Um, I always cringe at this a little bit because, you know, unless it's a really good friend that confides in you a lot, I think often we make assumptions about our friends and how they're doing financially, right, mm. um, that we don't – we may not know. I mean it could be possible that one that looks like they're struggling – really isn't struggling they just maybe are making it sound like they're struggling or um or they could be doing like well or the opposite could be people that are like uh um in the great outdoors (laughs) rolling right Right. who's putting off this hey i'm super rich but he's like super poor right so i i think i try to do that in my life now be a little bit uh, different on that and, and not make assumptions about how people are doing um financially um, so I would suggest not doing that. Um, but even beyond that, and let's bring Molly's game back into it, right? There was a really interesting part in the in the movie Molly's Game where there was a player who's a big uh, hedge fund player, right? And he would he was terrible, and he would lose a hundred thousand dollars every week in this game uh, to the point that Molly started feeling bad for him and um, and actually stopped at one point and said, hey, you know, I don't think this game is for you. And he's like, no, I know I'm not doing well, but I enjoy playing. Um, she's like, well, maybe I can get you a book or get you some lessons. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that'd be nice. And then the next scene is like, what I didn't realize is that he was losing $100,000 a week in my game, but he was making $4 million in investments off the players in the game. Oh. And so that's a good reminder that um, it's not about, it's not always about what a tunnel vision of what you think people are playing for, right? So even if somebody is playing above their means here for the $60, I'm not suggesting that they're playing because they're going to try to get you to invest in their hedge fund. <laughs> but, um, you know, th- this might be their choice of blowing 60 bucks every week, you know? Yep. They may not do anything else, and they may, 
you know, you shouldn't assume that they shouldn't be there because they can't afford it. Maybe they've decided this is my my 60 bucks and I'm going to be here and I know I'm not good. I know I'm going to lose, but I'm going to enjoy myself tonight. So I, I try not to get in other people's heads too much and make assumptions about them. I, I guess that's the final thing I would say for you. Yeah, okay. And like you said, it's like when, when uh, business guys go out and play golf and they lose money in golf, but yet they secured a $1 million deal. It's worth losing 80 bucks in a round of golf to win a million dollars and get 10% commission on it. You know what I mean? So yeah. some people are playing for different reasons, and uh, hey, they're adults. If they want to be in your game for 60 bucks, and really how many people are over their means in $60 anyway? So you know what? Just play. Play as best you can. And the final thing about Molly's game is it turned out that hedge fund guy was running a Ponzi scheme, which is what's starting <laughs> Poker so and Ponzi again. Yay. The other suggestion is when somebody at the poker table is like, I got a, a deal you got to get in on, say no every single time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's time to call the floor. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. Email us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Jason Grimes, our good friend Jason. He says, in tournaments, there is this rule. Money placed in the pot cannot be removed. If blinds are 100-200, an early position player raises to 500. A second player isn't paying attention and tosses in 200 units. They are informed that the bet is actually 500. Their 200 is lost, so they can fold or lose 200 or call the additional 300. Though I'm used to this rule, upon thinking about it, I don't see what the point is. If the dealer or table acting in fairness of the game <clears throat> uh, is acting in fairness in the game immediately notices the error and no further action occurs, why can't the player retrieve their 200 units? Outside of the whole pay attention to what's going on issue, what does this rule solve or prevent? Also, this rule has recently started to crop up in cash games where I tend to think the rules are slightly more lax and has only had the effect of making players angry or angrier when they are caught up in the situation. Related, over the weekend I was at a casino playing 1-3-11 Hold'em when, after the flop, the person second to act let out with a $15 bet. The dealer told the person that the action was on the woman to his right. She bet $25. The person who acted out of turn was told their bet had to stay in the pot, but they could complete the call. I thought the rule was that her $25 bet change the action so that the player who initially bet 15 could retrieve the whole bet, call, raise, fold, etc. Would the situation have been different if these two players weren't the first and second players to act? Elliot says, your reasoning regarding ships placed in the pot is flawed if not incorrect. TDA Rule 42 Part B covers undercalls in turn and states, quote, a player undercalls by declaring or pushing out less than the call amount silently without first declaring call. An under call is a mandatory full call if made in turn facing one, any bet heads up, or two, the opening bet on any round multi-way. In other situations, TD's discretion applies. The opening bet is the first chip bet of each round, not a check. Uh, the posted big blind is the opening pre-flop bet in blind games. All-in buttons greatly reduce under call frequency. And he says, see recommended procedure number one. This rule governs when a player must make a full call and win at the tournament director's discretion. She may forfeit the underbet and fold. Uh, the discretion that you felt should be the rule already is the rule. Uh, this rule is in place so that the potential angle shot of intentional undercalling is removed from the play. Uh, the placing of chips in the pot can sometimes generate reactions by other players, and this is information that is not supposed to be bought without the cost of calling a bet. 
Also, the rules intended to stress the importance of all players paying attention to the game, something that you downplayed. Games grind to a halt if players don't pay attention. The dealers are supposed to help this along, but they are not playing and also don't possess the sole responsibility for the action. As for action out of turn, in most poker rooms, a $25 bet in that spot does in fact let the out of turn $15 better change his mind. The situation does not change even if they were not the first or second players to act. The larger bet placed as a corrected action would negate the smaller out of turn bet. I like Elliot. He's really smart. He is. You know what I mean? He writes very well, and he, he really covers his uh, all of his, his points well. And I just I like what he has to say there, and he's right. I mean, the the cash game one is really obvious. Um, you know, that, that, that happens all the time, and people get the – because the action did change. So you shouldn't be bound by – some guy goes in for $300, and you put in 10 by accident. You shouldn't have to now call and put in 300 I mean, that's ridiculous. So – that one makes sense, but uh, I really like the way Elliot writes for us. He's such, he's really, uh, really smart. Yeah, it's good to have somebody that actually really understands this stuff too. He's not guessing. He actually spends some time, um, you know, really trying to explain it. So, yeah. uh, and I, I had some back and forth with Jason on this too. And, and I get it. Again, this is one of those things on the surface. It doesn't seem like a big deal. And I agree with him on the surface. He's like, you know, hey. Uh, the guy didn't notice the bet down there. Maybe he couldn't see. Maybe he's in the the one seat, and the bet came from the ten seat, and didn't see. And we caught it right away. Why why can't the person take it? I think if you asked poker players, eight out of ten might say, yeah, let him take it, right? Um, but it's because of those other two that you can't do it because as soon as a player knows that he can immediately take it out, now it's an angle shot. Yeah. And, um. And a really good angle shot player would be able to know, hey, I put that bet out, and now I've, you know, I've altered the perception of action going forward. There might be somebody else that was going to do something, and now because I, I came into the pod or because I undercall, now they don't know what I'm going to do. It's going to affect it, and then now that gives you the power as an angle shotter to take more shots. Absolutely. So, as much as it, it hurts and it seems ridiculous, there is a method to the madness. Absolutely. Hey, you have a new Mally's move today. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week, we are seated at a $1, $2, nine-handed, no-limit hold'em casino cash game. It's been a typical 1-2 game in a casino, with some solid players, some new to the game, and some maniacs. We've been playing for several hours and have doubled our buy-in. More importantly, we've got some good intel on the table and have pegged most players' styles down pretty well. The blinds post, we sit under the gun with $400 and the 10 of spades, 10 of hearts. We raise it up to 15. This is our standard under the gun raise. With so many to act behind us, we want to thin the field and hopefully get heads up. This works like a charm as we get one caller, the cutoff. This player sits with about 250. He borders on the maniacal, but also plays decently solid poker. Once he senses weakness, he goes for the kill. He's gotten away with some bluffs, but has also got caught on occasion. He blew through his first $100 buy-in, but after he bought in for another 100 he's turned a $50 profit for the night. We know this because he hasn't stopped talking about how he's up and earned his profit after taking a bad beat to lose his first buy-in when his queens lost to ace-king for stacks. The pot is $30 after the rake, and the flop is the queen of diamonds, seven of hearts, four of clubs. 
We don't like the overcard, but we're still going to c-bet this, with only one opponent in the hand. We make it $20 to go, and our opponent quickly calls. There's now $70 in the pot, and the turn is the seven of diamonds. We check, and our opponent hesitates before checking behind. There's still around $70 in the pot, and the river is the six of spades. We check once again, and our opponent bets $45 into the $70 pot. What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you have something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And I almost thought about changing up. I mean, I, we wouldn't do the Advanced Poker Training because they're, they're sponsoring the Hand of the Week. But but you know what I saw in the uh, the Impulse Isle at Party City USA yesterday, Chris? What? Little mini versions of Bean Boozled. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you remember when I told you about the game that I played this with Matt Savage? He introduced yeah. this to us at Thunder Valley where you spin the wheel and you've got two different jelly bellies that look exactly the same, but one tastes like lime and the one tastes like long clippings, and you don't know until you... Yeah, uh, yeah. It's four ninety nine. They got a little mini version in the impulse aisle, and uh, so I impulse purchased yesterday, but <laughs> that would be a good prize. I think. But anyhow, no, no, uh, Dean, you're going to get a advanced poker training, uh, com member. Well, actually, you're not. You, you've already had swag in the last year, but but everybody else that sends a hand, you're going to get <laughs> Uh, free uh, membership advance of poker training. But anyhow, Dean Ratcliffe is uh, our submitter this week, and he says, um, uh, greetings from Adelaide, Australia. Adelaide? Adelaide. I, I guess. I should have just moved on. I'm, I wouldn't find out. Yeah. Um, all right. He says, this is my regular bar league tournament uh, that I've been playing in for a few months. It's a $25 buy-in, and the structure and standard play is about what you expect for that level. Most of the players are regulars in this game. Tonight, there are 30 runners. I love when Australians say runners, too. Actually, probably everybody outside the United States probably says runners, don't they? Right. Which is why we got runner-runner. Maybe. You're losing me, dude. All right. There are 30 runners, also known as players, and the top four spots will be paid. There are 11 players left, split over two tables. The final final table will be set with nine players remain. Technically, it should be 10, but I'm not going to... TDA's here or there. Uh, my table is currently six-handed. The average stack is 82,000, and the blinds are 5,000, 10,000, and there will be no antis at any point in this tournament. Uh, we have uh, the hijack is the first to call. Uh, he's described as a weak player, far too loose and passive, even at this stage when the blinds are so high relative to stacks. He has about 100K to start the hand. Uh, the cutoff folds. The button calls. He is a tighter and slightly better player than the hijack. But like a lot of players in this game, plays too passive and doesn't adjust enough as the blinds get up to these levels. He has 125,000 to start the hand. And we are in the small blind with the Queen of Diamonds, Jack of Hearts, and our stack is 120. Uh, just call. I mean, I'm not going to raise here. I'm out of position the rest of the hand. I don't have a great hand. And, you know, we have a weaker player in there, so we might be able to, to take advantage of that later. Um, but we're going to be out of position the rest of the way. It's a good hand, but I don't know if I'm going to raise out of position with this hand. Um, and we have a guy who called in the button, so he's going to have position on us. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to call. Just going to call. All right. Um, and this is an interesting spot for me, I think, because, again, as I keep saying on the show, I really think we're to a point now where 15 big blinds is shove or fold, and we are at 12 now. Um, so technically we are in shove or fold mode here. Although, you know, there's some given that somewhere between 10 and 15. So we're not at 10. 
Um, so, but it's going to cost us another five here to call. As you mentioned, we're going to be out of position. We don't have a great hand here. Um, but this is a massive table. It sounds like no one's raising. Everybody's kind of, kind of uh, cautious. Um, so this might be one of those spots where I do something different and call, knowing that if I hit any part of this flop, I, I can shove in and hopefully pick up a pot from players that are not going to be as interested in the pot as I am. Yeah, like you said, I mean, it, it, this is a situation where if you're first into the pot and you are looking at a hand like this, it's probably a decent move to shove. But in this case, we have some callers. We have some guys who may not even fold to your shove, and it's only going to cost you a half a bet with two limpers already and a big blind behind you. So half a bet to win, you know, was it six bets or whatever, six and a half bets. So, I mean, you're getting some really good price on your money where you don't have to shove for half a bet. So I'm going to call. Yeah, and I think uh, folding I could de uh, definitely support here because we're at it's a terrible position to be in a great hand, so might as well wait and save our chips for, for maximum value. Um, and the uh, the shove here I couldn't justify here. That we're a, I mean, obviously by shoving we take away the positional disadvantage we have because we don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe this game, if it's really as passive as he's saying now, Maybe I'm looking for any opportunity to pick up some chips, and here would be twenty, thirty, thirty thousand more to my stack. Mm. Gets me to one fifty. I mean, so I'm still in shover fold. I mean, at this point, I mean, there's going to be a lot of shoving and folding. I'm trying to pick up blinds. Every every time you pick up the blinds, you get another round of the tournament. And here we've got two more dead money in there, so that's two rounds we pick up here. So there could be a case to be made for that as well, too. But but I think I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna limp and then with the intention of shoving if I hit anything. Mm. Sounds good. All right. Um, uh, here it says uh, the big blind is a new player I hadn't seen before tonight, but he has been on my table most of the night and seemed competent. I don't expect him to get out of line and raise without a legitimate hand if I fold or call. So uh, I would sometimes raise in the spot, but the hijack and button players call too often. I'll probably be stuck playing a bloated pot out of position against multiple opponents. Not if you shove, which is what you're I could shove, but with 1.5 times the average stack and close to the final table, I don't want to risk it all. And this is why some people win tournaments and some people cash, and I'm a casher. So uh, I'm with you there, Dean, but uh, we got to be more aggressive here at times. I feel my hand is too good to fold, and I don't expect the big blind to raise often, so I call. Uh, big blind checks, and we go to the flop four-handed, queen of diamonds, ten of diamonds, five of clubs, and we are first act. Shove. We were going to shove. Scott mentioned that if he hits it, he's shoving. We have top pair, pretty decent kicker. That's a very wet board for people who limp. Uh, flush draws are out there. Straight draws are out there. Uh, even something like, you know, Jack-9 could be in, in one of these hands, you know. So now they got straight draws that way. So I have no problem shoving here because I was going to shove preflop anyway. So only hands that beat me really are two pair or King queen, ace queen, and those hands probably raise. Um, and if they don't raise, then you know I don't know. I know they're passive, but really, only two hands really beat you. Really, if you think about it, maybe three. Um, yeah, could somebody have pocket fives and flop a set? Sure, but somebody having a bigger pair than queens, I doubt it. They would have raised. So uh, we have four, you know, four forty grand out there. I guess it is. So. Um, I might as well protect my hand now. And if you're going to bet the pot, you only have, what, 115. So if you're going to bet about the pot to protect your hand, you know, you might as well just shove. So I'm shoving. 
Yeah, I think your only decision here is uh, shove or check with the intention of getting getting all in. I mean, any, any kind of bet that's less than your stack here should be not considered. So, um, and this is what we talked about when we we limped into the pot. We were hoping to hit some part of it and then and and shove, and that's what we got. And you're right. There's, you know, possibly there's pocket fives out there. Maybe a king queen. Um, I doubt ace queen is out there. So it's really probably only two hands that have a beat. I suppose maybe there's queen ten out there too as well. But but we have outs to all those except for the fives. Um, so uh, we shouldn't be worried about that. Plus again, it's a passive thing. So now we, we've got more money in the pot. I mean, we we haven't got any more than we would have shoved before. But um, let's not let this get out of control. This is not a um, making multiple decisions throughout this hand hand now. <laughs> this is get it in and maybe everybody will fold and we just picked up. Like I said, two more rounds of play, and if somebody wants to call, hopefully they have a weaker hand, and now we've got a lot more play. So, yeah, yeah. All right, our says, I probably have the best hand here with top pair and backdoor flush and straight draws. I went to bet for value and discourage draws and also to thin the field. I bet into three opponent. A bet into three opponents would represent strength, and I wouldn't expect any of the opponents to come over the top without a big hand. They're going to be as reluctant as I am to risk a whole stack this close to the final table. All the more reason to shove here. If everybody's playing scared, take advantage of everybody taking uh, being scared. Particularly now, we got some we got some uh, cover. We we we've made a hand now. Right. 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 Oh, so, I mean, play play to those fears. Make those people fold every single hand and keep chipping up. And then by the time the bubble breaks, now you've got a lot of chips in front of you, and you're in a much better spot than playing timid here. I think. But uh, so he bets twenty thousand. I made I made a funny face when you said that. I it, I didn't like that amount. Uh, Twenty grand. I mean, think about this pre-flop a raise is at least thirty thousand. You only bet twenty into a forty thousand pot. So now somebody's got to call twenty to win sixty. If they're drawing, you've given them pretty decent odds. You said you want to discourage draws, but that doesn't discourage a draw. What what could dis? You know what I mean? Like like in, in other words, the minimum amount you could bet is only ten. You know, so you're not really discouraging draws by only betting 20. Discouraging a draw is betting the pot, or two, at least two thirds of the pot. Um, I would have bet at least 30 there, um, and maybe even pot if if I'm going to bet. And of course, we were talking about shoving, but if I'm not going to shove, I'm going to put an amount in there that's not a shove. Then I'm, I'm going to bet at least 30. Talk about shoving. I think you have to shove here. I mean, yeah. you just don't have enough chips to, to do these little stupid bets. So what happens if somebody raises you now? Are you going to fold? Right. There's no way you're folding. You can't fold now. So if you're not going to fold here, put it all in, and that, especially if you're trying to discourage draws, that would discourage draws, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then pick up the splines here. Don't get don't get involved in this. I mean, this is the worst thing. It sounds like this is pretty common in this in this tournament, which we'll we'll talk about more. I'm sure throughout the hand, um, people are not understanding how the, the situation they're in now with their chips. Um, now, the fact that everybody seems to be in the same situation changes it a little bit. Um, you know, if everybody's in what would consider folder shove mode, then maybe you're not in folder shove mode anymore. But um, but take advantage of these players now. I'm like, you know, let, let's win this pot right now. We got and we limped in with a questionable hand, and we hit the flop, and let's let's win this thing and move on. Yep, absolutely. Uh, all right, so here says the big blind and hijack fold, but the button thinks briefly before calling. I can't recall him trapping previously, so I'm not putting him on two pair or a set here. At this stage, I'm thinking he has one pair, probably queen or a draw. And I got to say, I've, I, I've bled a lot of chips in tournaments in the past um, by making these stupid little calls with draws, hoping that if I hit my flush, then I win. 
and you can't do it. So I don't know what our opponent has here either, but they should be shoving as well too. If they're in this hand, they should be coming over the top of us. I uh, yeah, I mean, most if he's got a lot of chips, I don't know what the guy has. I, I but nobody, why. nobody in this hand has more than we do. When we're at when we have twelve big blinds starting the hand. Everybody else was at well, one was one twenty five. The button actually has covered by five before it. He's he's our opponent here, which means to me that he has a draw because if if he didn't have a draw and he had a pair that was like your queen, he's going to want to probably shove too because he wants to protect you. I would think, to, you know, but this game seems weird, doesn't it? it so. Yeah, I, I think that you should have shoved and that because he didn't shove, he probably is on a draw and saying, oh, I'm only, only 20 grand, I can already hit my flush here or my straight. So I, I think if a blank comes on the turn, you got to get it in. Oh, at this point, yeah, or you don't yeah. have enough to do anything else. So. Yeah. Um, all right, the turn is the four of clubs, so our board now is queen of diamonds, ten of diamonds, five of clubs, four of clubs. All the more reason now, and I've got two straight draws. Somebody could easily have a suited ace, that ace rag, that gives him a wheel draw. you got two straight draws and two flush draws. So, I mean, you have to get it all in now. This person needs to pay. To, to, I am not checking now and give him a free card, and I'm not, I'm not so flush with chips that I can afford to make a regular bet. i got to shove. Yeah, and and he's uh, well. Actually, he says, "I'm sorry, I was reading ahead." But he says this card changes nothing. It it doesn't, you know, unless he this guy was sitting around with pocket fours for some stupid reason. Um, it changes nothing. We made a mistake on the flop by letting the guy stick around. Now get it in. Let's get it in and get this thing done with. And if he wants to call and try to hit his draw, that's great. Um, and you know, let's dodge that bullet now. Um, and we probably would had better luck getting him to not do it on the flop but we gotta shop now i think there's yep. no there's no other play here yeah all right uh our says the uh, card changes nothing and i think i'm still good i have a pot size bet left but i'm not confident enough to shove here i could see this player turn up with king queen played very passively here not prepared to check and give him a free card either dean buddy <laughs> not trying to pick on you here but uh here, here's the flaw of what you're thinking if you, you're if you're worried about him having king-queen, then you need to check. Because if you bet now, what are you going to do on the river now? If you're still worried about it? Yeah. I mean, unless the king comes now, all right, maybe, you know, it's even worse. I mean, I mean, if a jack doesn't come, so you don't improve, what do you do then? So uh, you got to be more confident in this game. you got you got to be shoving. And uh, you can't be, can't be scared about king-queen here, I think. So. Because if he had King Queen again, this this whole term is kind of weird. But uh, he would have shoved on the flop on us, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would have protected his hand. He would have thought you were making a measly bet to try to steal the pot, and he would have said, "No way, I'm not letting you hit your draw for your price. I'm shoving on you." So he would have bet more than twenty. I think we're ahead, and I think we need to shove, and I think we're letting this guy get there for a real cheap price. Let's hope not. Let's see. Uh, he says, I bet 20K again. If I bet any more, then I really can't fold any action on the Turner River. <laughs> you don't want to. Uh, even now, I put in 50K of my 120K stack. I started hand with and borderline pot committed, completely pot committed. Yeah. <laughs> I love to end, uh, end the hand here, but I probably haven't bet enough to accomplish that. Uh, the villain again calls quickly. So good. Now we're, now we're coming around. Now we know that we didn't bet enough to end the hand. So we're going to have to hope for the best here on the, on the river and see what we can do. There's but, a reason we bet. And to bet twenty, what was the reason to bet twenty grand? What was the reason to get more out of him? Well, I mean, you're getting more out of a second best hand. I don't think this guy has a second best hand. I think this guy, if he had a hand, would have shoved on you. And if he didn't have a hand, he's drawing, so you're making it cheap. Twenty k is wasn't enough on the last street. Now it's it's just compounding the error. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, and if you're if you didn't want to give him a free card either, I mean, yeah, I guess the the twenty k. I mean, he still he, he now he has even better odds than he did the last time to call your twenty k here. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, yeah, he he's paying for it, but you're allowing him to stay in here at this point with this part of the tournament and our chip stacks here now. Uh, we need to end these hands as quickly as possible. I think. All right, the river is the ten of clubs, so our final board is queen of diamonds, ten of diamonds, five of clubs, four of clubs, ten of clubs, and we are first act again. Uh, it's an ugly card. Um, but in our hearts, we didn't believe this guy had a ten, uh, and we didn't believe this guy was on a straight draw or or um, uh, a flush draw. I mean, because it was back door there, so. Uh, if he's on a straight a flush draw, it would have been diamonds, and if he's on a straight draw, the 10 doesn't help. Uh, we don't believe he has a 10 in his hand. Um, maybe he does. Maybe he's just not really a good player, and he just just kept calling along, thinking that his 10s might be good, and now he's made three of a kind. But that's kind of way in the back of my mind. So um, I'm just going to shove again. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess I could check call if he shoves, because, you know, whatever. Yeah. Check maybe. What's interesting now is the way we played it. Now I think now I got to check call. And yeah, just, yeah. And hope that maybe he checks behind in case he has something better than us. And maybe you know I, I can't imagine the scenario here where he has something better than us. He could have had a ten though. Uh, but if he has a ten, he's going to bet this as well too. So I mean I, I don't really know the scenario here where we check and it gets checked behind. But um, the guy hasn't gone anywhere, and the clubs seem a little less likely to me than the other draws. But at this point, you know, we don't know where we are. We've never made a statement here. And, um, I mean, I guess I'm fine shoving here, but we, we, we've we lost all the, the benefit of shoving by not doing it earlier in the hand. Right. Um, so I'm almost at this point, I'll, I'll check call. But, I, you know, I can't fold at this point either now. I got ha- all my stack is in there. So, you know, I can't I can't let him be bluff me off this if he, if he bets. So. So I guess if I'm going to check call, then maybe I should shove as well too. But you know, maybe there's a chance that he's so passive that he'll check behind, and we won't be out of this tournament. So yeah, yeah, I think no matter what we're doing, we're we're calling. But if we want to save sixty grand, we can check. I mean, it goes check check. Maybe guy doesn't have the mustard to bet on the end, and then you have sixty. You have six big blinds. But uh, no matter what happens, I'm getting. I'm going to see this hand no matter what happens. So. If I check, then he bets I'm going to call, and if he doesn't, then we're going to have sixty grand in case we lose. So um, I'm checking. All right, here it says not a great card. Turning second pair into trips and completing a backdoor flush. I don't know what betting would accomplish here, and really, my only bet is to shove as I have sixty k left, and there's one twenty k in the pot. I really want to go to showdown without putting any more chips in. I check. Yeah. Villain immediately moves all in, which has me just has me covered. Um, he said, "From my rough count at the time, the stacks are almost identical." Oh, back to us now. Well, I mean, a couple of things came up in this hand. He called pretty quickly early, so that tells me that he's on a draw. And by shoving pretty quickly here, he's trying to he, he's trying to take advantage of your weakness at the end. Now you're showing that you're afraid of the ten, you're afraid of the clubs. And he's trying to take advantage of that because there's no way he can win this hand without betting. I think he has a draw and missed it, and we're ahead, and we call. We weren't going to fold anyway, so let's just call. All right, got to call. All right, uh, here it says, I consider very unlikely he has a flush here. If he's gone run runner, then more power to you, sir, as Mike Sexton would say. Uh, I consider whether he has a 10 and made trips, but I doubt even a loose player would have called both flop and turn with only second pair. Already discounted two pair and sets on the flop, so he doesn't have a full house. Based on my original flop read of queen or flush draw, 
Uh, his instant shove doesn't make sense with a queen. He would check behind as he has so much showdown value. He should at least consider for a moment that I may have backed into a big hand and I'm trapping on the river. I call and hope to see a busted draw. The villain curses under his breath and turns over king of diamonds, seven of diamonds for a missed flush draw. Wow, he limped with the short, the short. I mean, not really short stack, but pretty short, short enough that he could be in shove mode, and he limps on the button with king seven suited. Huh. Yeah, that's that's much more difficult to defend even without a queen jack. Wow. But uh, so our hero says, uh, when I listen to you guys break down hands on the show, a lot of your ideas make sense to me, but I struggle to put them into play in real time at the table. In the past, I've folded this hand rather than call off my remaining stack with only a bluff catcher, but for once, I actually thought it through properly and came to the right decision. This pod propelled me to the chip leader, and when the final table started, I was card dead from there and eventually finished third. All right. Well, congratulations on that. Um, yeah, I just I think we see that the mistake here was was not really playing your stack properly with the uh, events that occurred. I think once you did make the attempt to limp with a small blind from the small blind, and you got to see it flop for half a bet, and then you hit top pair. At that point, you need to just secure that forty. You know, it paid you off. You got an extra forty or twenty, yeah, forty grand out of this, and then the sixty. So you basically double through, and that helped. But it could have just as easily backfired, and you. I think you should have shoved uh, after that flop. Yeah, I don't know what his cash position is here, but it's a $25 buy-in tournament, which doesn't seem like a lot um, for really anyone. Uh, and I think, really, at this point, you just need to start getting uber-aggressive here because it sounds like the players in, the, in this tournament are very passive, and so you need to play against type. And if you get down to this point where everybody is so worried about getting into the money, that's when you start picking up a lot of chips because now you can start opening a lot of hands and people are just going to let you take them from you. And, um, and and don't get yourself into these these tougher situations where you're you're limping with small stacks and then feeling oh my gosh I can't pull the pull the trigger here at the end just shove it just shove it in especially on the flop that flop was great it doesn't it's not a flop that you think was great at a full ring table uh, ten people there and um, deep stacks but at a shorthanded table with um, everybody with short stacks, that's a dream flop. So, Especially on a small blind. And think about this. I mean, he ended up he ended up getting the guy's stack, but the way this guy played, he might have called off uh, his chips with king seven of diamonds there. And that's exactly what you want to do at that point because if you shove, you're not giving them the right odds for that. Right. Huh. Great advice, buddy. That's why, that's why you're the tournament player of the two of us. <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Log. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com. Or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.